Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. This is Second Captains of the Irish Times. I'm Owen McDevitt here with Ken Hurley. Hello, Owen. Hi, Ken. I'm Kieran Murphy. Hey there, Owen. Hey, Kenny. I don't know how you guys feel about revenge. If you're wronged in some way in your life, do you thirst for revenge or do you find the equanimity within yourself to just let go and live your life? Well, revenge is in my hot Viking blood, Owen. (laughs) I can't let any slight, no matter how minor, go unavenged. Well, you'd be a George Groves type can then, or, or maybe the Tipperary Senior Hurling team, both of whom are thirsting for revenge this weekend, mm. as Landon Donovan maybe. I don't know, we'll get to him later on as well. Maybe he's going to spend the rest of his life hunting down Jurgen Klinsmann mm. for dropping him from the and US. Klinsmann's idiot boy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you saw the story about Klinsmann's son? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. He sent a tweet, a, a gloating kind of a tweet when he heard that... If you, if you call ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha Landon Donovan, ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha, if that strikes you as having a slightly gloating tone, then yes, it was a gloating tweet. <laughs> yeah. Murph, you're, you're a vengeful sort. Mm, I like the idea of revenge, yeah. like the actual acting out of the revenge, you know, you know taking, you know matters into my own hands in a physical way I'm not really into that certainly carrying a grudge though you'll oh, do I'm that all, oh I'm all You've about got a big that. vengeful oh, head silent seething resentment I've got a little it's black book I've got a little black book in here well no neither of you two are in it of course not that would be wrong of me to even suggest we've been in it a few times and we've been taken back out we've done yeah. some, so that's a good thing we're in such regular contact that myself and Ken can be the object of your revenge and then yeah, there was a while there. pretty quickly switch it around there was a while there a couple of years ago but no, at the moment, no, that's, you're that's, all safety clear of the That's more MacBook. in keeping with your whole, your general style that's squinting windows uh, west of Ireland type of <laughs> approach. Whereas I'm, you know, as I said, a man of the East, uh, you know, born, my ancestors came up the puddle in a longboat. <laughs> and, uh, and, and ever since then, uh, brutal, stupid men. That's, uh, yeah, that's my lineage. Sounds like you're about to quote that German character again. What's his name? <laughs> uh, yeah, I forget his name. 
the visitor to Ireland in 1596. I was away. Uh, we have quoted him a couple of times. Yeah, well, well, <laughs> you've quoted him a couple of times to me and then I uh, listened to one of the podcasts while I was away on holidays and uh, I noticed that this character being dragged up again, but we'll leave him out for the time being. Let's take these uh, stories in turn here. George Groves, he's out to avenge his controversial defeat by Carl Froch when the rematch takes place in Wembley Stadium. Wembley Stadium for a boxing fight on Saturday night. It's the biggest fight in years in British boxing. Just to recap, the first time around, Froch, 36 years of age, WBA champion, IBF super middleweight champion, expects a handy enough defence of his titles against 25-year-old George Groves. Here's what happened. An attentive jab from Froch takes the right hand. He's not throwing the jab with confidence, Froch. He's struggling with the range of the... And this place has just become electrified. And Groves has wobbled. Groves is in big trouble now. And Frosch senses it. And Frosch is going for the finish. Because Groves' legs have gone. I think Frosch needs to finish it here. It really does. Groves Groves is in trouble. He's taken another one and another. And Howard Foster has stopped it. Wow. That is going to be controversial. Groves is disgusted. Is furious, and there's going to be some controversy here. Had him in so, came through it, remained champion. That was Fox, uh, that was Frotch Groves won, but the controversial ending did create enough interest in the rematch to get the fight staged at Wembley. Richie Woodall has fought in a British super fight himself against Joe Calzaghe. Andy Lee is preparing for his own fight in New York next week, so we'll talk to him about this because it's not that many fights these days that have people talking in the same way. I'm just having casual conversations with people and they're, they're dropping this fight mm. in. It happens the odd time. When Ricky Hatton was, was in his pomp, it was possibly most recently, and Floyd Mayweather, in fairness, when he's got his biggest fights, but generally you know he's going to win, so it's not quite as exciting. Nobody knows he's going to win this. Yeah, this has entered into the public consciousness in a way that we haven't seen for ages and ages around these parts. So it is. like It's an absolutely gigantic sporting event. And as you say, Wembley Stadium for a boxing match. Yeah, it's great. It's pretty well, hang on, is it the actual stadium? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's no, Wembley, yeah. It's not the thing. No, not the arena. Building next no. door. Groves wanted it in, is it Stamford Bridge? He's a Chelsea fan, I think. He wanted it in Stamford Bridge. So it's on the pitch at Wembley? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how big this is, Ken. Wow. In the big Munster Hurling Championship match of the weekend, Tip, have revenge on the mind against Limerick. Here on. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year, caught on the hop massively by uh, Limerick, who used that as a springboard to go on and win the Munster Championship. Nobody was really expecting a huge amount of Limerick last year, were they? No, not really. I mean, they were expecting them to put up... Uh, well, see, we take... Let's all take ourselves back 12 months and we all thought that playing in Division 2 or Division 1B or whatever the hell it's called, Division 1B of the Hurling League, oh well, I mean, you can't win anything from there. I mean, forget about that. I mean, trying to trying to play against the best teams in Ireland when playing in Division 1B for the spring, forget about it. Uh, and of course, the summer ends with two Division 1B teams playing in the All-Ireland Final against each other. Um, so, yeah, from that point of view, Limerick were kind of being written off. Tipperary had just lost the league final to Kilkenny, Everyone, I mean, it's first could even think of it, but remember, there were only two hurling teams capable of winning the All Ireland last year, uh, Tipperary and Kilkenny. So that was it was nearly the first blow of the sort of brilliant. Yeah, uh, it's easily forgotten now. Summer of hurling that we had. It's an easily forgotten game now, given everything that came after it. But I'm sure it won't be forgotten by the tip players. We'll talk a little bit about that with Maris O'Brien later on, and with Benny Dunn and Landon Donovan has so far declined to confirm whether or not he's going to go after Jurgen Klinsmann. I'd say he won't, Ken, because part of the reason that Klinsmann has left him out of the squad seems to be that Donovan's a little bit too free-spirited for Jurgen Klinsmann. Klinsmann, despite being somewhat of a free spirit himself, doesn't like his players taking career breaks and going off and finding themselves in Cambodia. That kind of crack. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm very dubious about that decision by Jurgen Klinsmann. I mean, you know, maybe he looked at it and thought, well, if this, how serious is this guy? You know, he takes a few months off. I mean, people, players don't do that. Serious players don't do that. Maybe, you know, Klinsmann, number one, should be a bit more understanding. I mean, Donovan said that he was mentally and physically exhausted. That's why he needed the time off. Yeah. Um, so it seems it would seem wrong to me if Clinton was holding that against him, which is why I think there's probably a bit more to it. Um, there is your standard reason that between Clinton and Donovan, there is a standard reason that the you're talking about an aging player who is thirty two. He once was, but but I say he isn't force. He once was. Since being dropped, he has become the highest scorer in the history of the MLS. His yeah. first game after the snub bangs in a couple more goals. Yeah, look, I mean, thirty two year old player is not. I mean, he's by far the best American player in the history of the World Cup. I mean, admittedly, there haven't been that many standout American players in the history of the World Cup, but Donovan is the best. Tony Miola. He's 32, he's 32 Tony years Miola. old. Um, Not so, forgetting Tab Ramos. Yeah, Eric Ronaldo, of course. But I mean, the thing, the thing you got to remember about Landon Donovan, um, we... Harks, John Harks. Well, we all remember his, um, his book, uh, not his book, Grant Wall's book uh, about Beckham. Eric Ronaldo. In which Landon Donovan... Um, you know, talked to Grant Wall fairly liberally about David Beckham and and, and what a terrible influence he was having on the LA Galaxy, <laughs> and how he wouldn't uh, put his hand in his pocket when he brought alligator him out for arms. Dinner. Yeah, you know, Beckham's short little alligator arms weren't weren't capable of reaching down to his pocket where his wallet was big fat wallet was, so he wasn't able to pay for dinner for everyone and other things like that. You know, Donovan absolutely knifed Beckham in that yeah. book. Right, he's maybe not Mister. Team player, right? He may, he maybe Landon Donovan has got a little bit of a selfish streak. He might have been. I think, having read that book, we can say that without any fear. A little bit of a maybe. A bit of the Raouls about him, maybe. Yeah, and maybe you're, maybe that's what Jurgen Klinsmann is looking at and thinking. You know what? It, say okay, it's like uh, what Deschamps said about Samir Nasri. You know, Samir. Mm, Good player, but uh, I don't think he'd be starting my first team. And if you leave him out, if he's not in the if he's not in the first team, oh, the squad gets to hear all about that. You know, I just I just don't really think he's a bench type player. He's too good for that. <laughs> but unfortunately, he's going to be a bench type player for me, so I don't want him. Not good enough for the team. He's bench poison. And maybe Klinsman is looking at Donovan <laughs> and thinking, you know, this guy is going to expect to be in the team and run the team. And if he's not, I'm going to be reading all about it in Sports Illustrated. You know, I'm going to be reading all about. Uh, where things went wrong for the US team in Sports Illustrated from a highly placed source. US, yeah. That's why I don't want him. US Murph on that a little bit later on. Looking forward to all of that. Let's start with the big fight. Frotch Groves to Andy Lee will be on shortly. But Richie Woodall is ready to go. Richie, can you remember a build up like this to a fight in Britain? And if so, what sort of fight or fights would you compare it to? I think you've got to go back to the early 90s when um, Eubank Ben, Eubank Collins, those type of fights, Collins Ben. I mean, we were all, as young boxers, brought up on those type of fights and really looked forward to them and the hype and that surrounded them was incredible. And I can't think of another fight since then, really, um, that's as big. So you, know, you have to go back to those type of contests. So let's hope it lives up to it. I guess there are a lot of obvious reasons why it's captured the public imagination and a lot of them are based around the first fight. It's also maybe the fact that it's on in Wembley. Is there any one, one aspect of this fight do you think that's getting everybody so pumped up? I think it's the fact that they, you know they they clearly d- dislike each other. Um, huge controversy in the first contest um, with the stoppage. I think it was stopped a little bit too early. 
Uh, but obviously, Carl Frotch was coming back into it. And um, I mean, I was ringside and I, I thought that, that Groves had gone, actually, in the ninth round. I thought, although the referee jumped in too early, I do think it probably just it, it stopped the inevitable. I thought Frotch was going to go on to stop him anyway. I think Groves had his moments in the fight, uh, but, he, but he probably let Carl Frotch off the hook, especially in that first round. But yeah, the excitement, it, it's just a fantastic build-up now. Uh, I can't wait. It's interesting you raised that point that you felt that Groves was gone in that first fight because mm. a lot of controversy has surrounded how uh, maybe Groves was done out of the possibility of, of actually winning the fight. But when you look at it, mm. it could be argued that Frotch was done out of the chance to actually finish it off and maybe win it in the right way. So has, has Frotch almost yeah. got as many regrets as Groves does about how that ended? Yeah, I think um, it just depends on which side of the fence you're sitting on, really. If you're a Groves fan... A lot of Groves fans think that he was robbed uh, of winning the fight. He'd have got through that ninth round uh, and, and beat him on points because he was definitely ahead. But um, I, I disagree. I, I think Frotch, sorry, Groves was winning the contest. Yes, he was. But the ninth round, for me, he, he was gone. I mean, the referee jumps in a little bit too quick. But I think if the referee hadn't, I think 10 or 15 seconds later, he'd have probably been knocked clean out. You know, boxers in the game um, and, and sitting at ringside... They know the score, and, and he turned his back at one point. He staggered. He was definitely hurt, and Frotch w- would have just moved in, in my opinion. I don't think he would have got through the round because it wasn't as if there was like 10 or 20 seconds left. There was probably a minute left in the round, and uh, he would have been beaten. And, and if that had been the case, we probably wouldn't have had this massive rematch now. Yeah. So it's all right, everyone's saying about Howard Foster, but... Because of Howard Foster, you've got probably one of the biggest fights in British boxing history. And the two fighters get a good payday out of it as well. And, yeah, and, and their careers are probably right. enhanced, which is all great. Richie, you've been watching a lot of yeah. the, the well, there's the press conferences, which is one part of it, but maybe more importantly, to how mm. the fight's going to go to sparring sessions and how the two of them are shaping up. Yeah. Well, I've been watching Frotch spar a lot because he, he trains up at the English Institute of Sport where I'm based with the GB squad. So he's been coming in and doing some very hard spars. Um, I, I definitely see a different Carl Frotch for this time round. I think he underestimated George Groves in the last contest, took it a little bit lightly, um, and didn't really give him the respect that George Groves, Groves de- deserved. Uh, is he overplaying is that now. a little bit, though? Uh, because I, I saw he said to the BBC this week that he couldn't really be bothered in the first fight. I wasn't motivated. Uh, I was unprofessional. That doesn't sound like Carl Frotch. I, I, there's just some part of me that thinks maybe he's almost convincing himself that he didn't take it seriously enough the first time. Well, I don't think he did take it seriously. I mean, he trained quite hard because I was I was watching him in his, his first training camp for the first contest. So, you know, he always trains hard, but... When you when you see little things like you used to leave the gym a little bit early to, to miss the traffic to go home and things like that, this time it's been totally different. He's been in training camp where he's been away from his family and his home. Um, he hasn't had the luxuries of going home on a night. He's having to stay up in Sheffield. Um, and so, yeah, you, you, know, you start to see the little changes that he's made. I think he definitely did underestimate him because he made silly mistakes. He made schoolboy errors, errors rather in the first round. His legs kept crossing and he kept coming square on. And so that left him open. His jab was very slow. It's unlike him that he had a slow jab and a jab that was very inaccurate. And George Groves, to his credit, took advantage of that and kept catching him with that right hand time and again. You often hear the fights can be won before the guys even step in the ring. Have you noticed anything in terms of the psychological stuff that's gone on as regards who's actually winning that battle, or does that matter? Well, yes, it does matter. And I think in the first contest, uh, George Groves won that battle hands down. He really got under Carl Frotch's skin. 
um, mainly because he wouldn't give him any he wouldn't give him any respect. Um, he disrespected him, if anything. Uh, and Carl Frutz, you know, really didn't like that because Carl Frutz used to say, "Well, this guy's never fought anyone at world class, and and yet he's calling me this, he's calling me that, and and says I'm no good." And it really got to Carl. You could tell he got to Carl. He, he lost it certainly mentally. But this time it's been totally different. It, it's been a very cool um, and calculated Carl Frutz for this one in the build-up. He has he has. Uh, He's been advised by a psychologist also, which is, I think he's got to tighten up in every area of his game because the big difference here, and this is hitting the nail on the head now, he respects George Groves as a fighter. Not as a person, because they don't like each other, but as a fighter, he now realises that this is a threat and a genuine challenge. And he's, you know, he's prepared accordingly this time. All right, Richie, stick with us because Andy Lee joins us now from London. I'm delighted to say, Andy, hope you're well. Um, you were one of the few voices who strongly backed Groves to win the first fight. Are you sticking with him? Um, I think so. Um, but I, I think a little bit of the element of surprise will be lost. Um, I think. I know Carl Foch will be prepared better mentally and physically uh, for this time around, but I still think, I think George will be prepared better as well, more so physically. And um, it seems that, but just by watching the, the promos on TV, that he's been working with a conditioner a lot more. And uh, like, no matter what they try, they're not going to be able to change their styles. And uh, like the reason I picked George for the first fight is because his style will be Carl Frotch and I think he'll do it again the second time around. In what way? What is it about his style? He's, he has a speed difference. He can punch as well. He's quite powerful. But he just has movement. Uh, you know, he moves side to side on his feet. He's not in and out straight straight lines. And he has head movement. And he has, you know, he can punch from different angles and, a, you know, a variation of punching. And I just think, you know, Carl Frotch is, is a tough man. You have to give him credit, you know, Going into that first fight, expecting to win easy, I know he that's that was his mindset going in um, to that fight. He underestimated George. Speaking to David Hay in the gym, he he makes the he was in the dressing room with Carl Fudge before the fight because he's quite close with both guys, and he said Carl Fudge referred to George Groves as his Audley Harrison in compared to David, which was a fight that David won in. You know, got paid so much money for but won it in three rounds so and that's how he that was his attitude going into the fight and um, to overcome all that when he'd been dropped and then taken a beating um, it, he was you know it's, it's a, an achievement in itself for Carl Frotch but yeah I do believe he's underestimating him and like he's they've met an issue that he's talking with a psychologist and I don't know so it's a lot of, a lot of Carl Frotch a lot of his Ethos seems to be built on confidence, and a lot of things he he says, like you say about him trying to convince people that he was below below par, that he wasn't unprepared. A lot of things he says is almost like he's trying to convince himself mm. as well as telling other people, you know. But um, you know, it makes it an intriguing fight. There's so much, uh, so many tangibles involved for both fighters, and you can make a case for both fighters. But as I said again, uh, I believe Groves will win. You said, just to bring it back there, you said that you feel, just looking at pictures, looking at press conferences, he actually looks in even better shape than last time? Yeah, well, um, George has made the point of training more so with the conditioner. I think that's um, because, and even just reading him between the lines, quotes he's saying, he's conscious of, of, of the later rounds. He knows Carl's going to try and, I think Carl Frotch is going to try and come on strong in the later rounds, which he always tends to do anyway. And um, I feel, 
just by reading them tonight, that Carl Foch believes George Rogers can't do 12 rounds hard, especially with Carl Foch. So um, I think it could be could be the touch and go in the early rounds. And I think it could not build up to a good finish towards the later rounds. Richie, you seem to think Froch is also prepared a lot better for this rematch. I take it you think Carl has enough to win on Saturday? Yeah, I think he, he will win it this time. Um, I think it will be a difficult contest again for, for the first four or five rounds because you have to remember uh, George Groves, he's like a young lion. He's a hungry lion who's got speed, he's got power, and that's going to be a threat to anyone. Uh, and it's going to be a problem for the first four or five rounds. But I do see Carl then getting to grips with him. And I, I, I see him stopping him earlier than the, the ninth round this time because I think George Bowes will be more confident. He'll come forward a lot more, which will suit, which will suit Frotch. Which, Frotch struggles when he has to go looking for fighters. I don't think he'll have to go looking for George Groves because of the build-up. And I do think... It's not going to be a case of, of George Groves hitting and running because when you get 80,000 people there, the occasion will call for, for two men standing toe-to-toe and I think they'll rise to the challenge, both of them. And if that is the case, I can only see one winner and that's Carl Froch again. All right, a Froch stoppage for Richie. Andy, do you think Groves can, can win? and Well, can win within the distance. Yeah, I think Groves is going to knock him out. I know it's, a, it's an outlandish claim, but I think George Rose will win by KO. All right, sounds good. What about yourself, Andy? Are you going to win by KO Madison Square Garden? You have a fight coming up? Ho- I hope so. Um, I intend to. And I'm fighting uh, next the week after Saturday and uh, in Madison Square Garden against John Jackson. Yep. So I know I'm in for a tough fight, but hopefully I'll do the business. All right, well, best of luck in that, Andy. We wish you well. And it uh, looks like in the meantime, we could have a cracker on our hands on Saturday. Two knockout predictions from the guys. Exactly what you want to hear. Richie, Andy, thanks so much for talking to us. Thank you. Bye. Thank you very much. Mm. You remember my grandmother, no disrespect, when I used to get in trouble, she looked at me and said, hmm. And I know a butt whooping was coming at the house. I'm an alien. Think about it. Roy Jones is born. James, James, James Tony is born. Iran Parker is born. But I'm telling you right now, I'm an alien. Tell me why I'm not. Explain why I'm here. I'm an alien. I should have been on this game 15, maybe 20 years ago, man. And then that's why I said I'm an alien. I'm an alien. Tell me why I'm not. Explain why I'm here. I'm an alien. But I'm telling you right now. I'm an alien. Just Google it and get your information. I'm an alien. You should be gone. I'm an alien. Google it. I'm an alien. Mm. I'm an alien. I'm an alien. Well, this is just perfect. Andy Lee goes for a Groves knockout. Richie Woodall, been watching a lot of Carl Froch. I think Froch, before the ninth round, will dispatch it this time. And we have confirmed... That these two just don't get along. Murph. They straight up do not like each other. These on guys, these guys, jet now. Sometimes, no, no, seriously, yeah, no, these yeah. guys really, really. No, I mean, it, you know, it's a cliche. But don't I mean, like I'll tell you, they one straight man, up, do, these two really, really don't like each other. I'll tell you, one man will be watching. Who's that now? Anthony Moyles. At the end of our chat on Monday, you know, Anthony Moyles and Ocean McConnell are serious football men. Yeah. They come in here, they arrive in, they talk football. We then put the mics on. They don't even notice. They just continue to talk. But we just mm-hmm. place them. We literally yep. just take them, place them on a, on a chair in front of a microphone, keep talking football. They don't realise the light's gone off. They just talk more football afterwards. Mm-hmm. And eventually we have to usher them out. Yeah. Well, this time around, after the on-air chat, first words out of Anthony's mouth were, you're watching Frotch Groves. <laughs> so if it's pierced the Gaelic football obsessed mind of Anthony Moyles. What time is this thing on it? 
Uh, it's, cover starts at six, so it's. Uh, I don't think it's a middle of the night job, which sometimes it can be. To it's on Saturday, is it? On Saturday, yeah. yeah. No, it can't. Doesn't fit in with your uh, hectic social calendar, you doesn't it? Pay extra for it as well. No, I'll be watching Ireland. I'm going to watch the Ireland Italy match. Oh, fair enough. Going over to Craven Cottage. Ireland's home. Oh, no, that's home. okay. Uh, they won't be in until quite late in the night. Oh, the really? Rain. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, cover starts at six. It's going to be hours and hours of coverage. Build up uh, the fights beforehand and all the rest of that. So I think you might be all right. You might be able to get there. What time is the Ireland kickoff? Around 8 o'clock. I'll check the kickoff. Uh, the, it's on Saturday evening. Well, for Ken and anyone else interested, the fight is on Sky Box Office, which is available on Sky, obviously. Mm. Uh, it's also available on UPC, if you are a UPC customer. Sometimes I'm not sure about these things when they pop up, where you can actually watch them, but that's where it is in this case. Uh, you do have to pay a bit extra for it either way, but it probably will be worth it. Now, Tip Limerick is a big game of the weekend in the Hurling Championship. We've got a man from both counties just arrived in studio, Morris O'Brien, formerly of Limerick, and ex-Tip Captain Benny Dunn. Guys, thanks very much for calling into us today. No problem. I can well, the first thing I want to ask you about is tip against Limerick a match that last year I guess launched uh, Limerick season really Morris and um, and gave, gave the Munster title ultimately or set them on the way to a Munster title the word revenge might pop up this week in the tip camp I don't know in your experience is revenge a good a good motivation to use no I don't think revenge really comes into it at all you know it's a new season like they've like revenge really is a I wouldn't see it as a motivating factor you know Tip Limerick kind of takes on its, its own little game really like I suppose you go back to 2007 like a little trilogy of their own three three games you know like um, I don't think revenge is a factor at all like both teams prepared very well and I don't think revenge will be part of it Is it brought up by managers Benny the idea or even by within the team that these guys gave us a doing over last year so let's get them back Yeah I think there would be an element to that and especially Last year, Limerick hijacked us in the last, I suppose, 10 minutes of that game. And I think the lads will be feeling a bit of hurt from that. Um, would they talk about that? Would, it, would you reckon it would be used that, uh, in that extroverted fashion? Yeah, I think from my experience of being involved with teams for, for the last number of years, I think it may be mentioned within the players. I think the management will try maybe get away from that and just work on what they've been working on this year and the positives from this year. But I can imagine within the camp, within the 25 or 30 players that are involved, I think it will be mentioned, to be honest with you. Um, I don't think it'll be the main focus of their preparations for the weekend, but I'd say within the group itself, I'm sure it will be mentioned at one stage or other. So tip uh, lads are obsessed with revenge. <laughs> Limerick people are more easygoing and they just allow these things to wash over them when necessary. Well, look, I don't know, but as I said, I think knowing the, the lads that are in there, they will hurt. I mean, I mean, everybody knows, uh, can go back over their 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 experiences of losing matches and you don't forget those experiences and I think they will be trying to the tip lads will be trying to get it right this Sunday and whether it comes up or not in conversation it probably will um, but you know I think it'll only be a small part to play and they'll just kick on and try to you know kick on for Sunday they uh, probably lost more matches over the years so if, if they're taking revenge into account <laughs> yeah. they'll be doing an awful lot of thinking most winters well I think that, that, that might actually be a very good point to be honest because I mean the, the bigger the county maybe the more you can focus in on the one or two sort of keynote defeats you know throughout your career but that game last year was maybe an interesting uh, occasion for Eamon O'Shea because he would have came into that job on the back of huge success as Liam Sheedy's coach. Uh, and, you know, when you're a coach and someone else is a manager, all you, all anyone hears is, oh, Eamon O'Shea is, is brilliant, you know. And maybe that was the first time that 
he actually got real criticism on the back of that game. Like, do you think is he the sort of guy, in, like, for, and you obviously have worked under him, is he the kind of guy that is able to handle that level of criticism that just comes with the territory of being Tipperary manager? He absolutely is. And you have to remember, Kieran, that you know, being a manager and being a coach are two totally different jobs. And I think Liam, when he came in in 2008 right through to 2010, like he built a brilliant team around him from Keane O'Neill as the physical coach to Eamon as the hurling coach, um, all the physios, masseurs, everything. He built a brilliant team around him. He was a brilliant delegator. And Eamon was just a part of that whole process. He was the coach at the time. It's a totally different job to being a manager. And Eamon came in as manager, I suppose, last year, I would say, and he'd admitted himself he struggled. I mean, we heard his interviews this week. He struggled a bit last year with it. But I think this year he's got a real hold on, I suppose, the job as manager. His job is to, you know, feed out all the other jobs to his backroom team. And I think he's got a good backroom team in place this year. So it allows him to kind of go hands off, manage the players a bit better, uh, manage the media, that type of thing, and leave all the other stuff to other people. Because maybe last year he was trying to maybe do too much and, and was feeling that pressure. I guess his challenge would be to maintain the respect that he built within the camp as a coach while taking on these extra responsibilities. Maybe it does take a year or so to find that balance. Yeah, I think it's a big change coming from coaching. Like, I suppose you're in the thick of it in every training session, whereas a manager really has to step back. You know, they have to step back and view everything from a distance. Like, like the amount of backroom staff that's within a county setup now is ridiculous, really. Like, it could be up to 20 people between nutritionists, coaches, fitness, strength and condition and everything. Um, statisticians, you know, like everything is covered really. So a manager really has to step back. It's, it's like I suppose a manager in any company really. You have to step back and overview everyone's everyone's role in that. Yeah, it sounds more like a, a director of football or something in the, in the Premier League as opposed to a, a first yeah, team coach. That's probably the way it's going, you know. And like, you, like if you're going to be a hands on on the field, you're not really, like, I suppose, keeping an eye on every side of it. You know, like even in, in training matches now, like you have the the backpack on on your back. You know, everything's been monitored. Like so, like if you're down in the pitch, like issuing our throughout the whole training session you're not kind of keeping an eye there's probably no point in having all those guys around the place Like, so you have to be kind of up in the stand like I know when we were playing training matches or when I was playing training matches with the Dubs like Anthony Daly was up stand, sitting in the back seat in Parnell Park like overviewing everything with, with like his team around him like, and, and that was kind of the way it went mm. so um, like I think that that's you have to take a step back and probably when he started he was probably down in the thick of it more so, so but, but he you know, went back then and he would have felt hurt what happened last year? He's not, he doesn't strike you as one of these bulletproof guys who would try to give off an air of not giving a damn what anyone says. Yeah, well, I think, you know, no name, no Shane, I would have worked with him in, I suppose, in Galway before he came in, involved in the tip set up, and he's a very unassuming character um, and an excellent man manager and, and a very smart individual as well. So while you might think that, he, I suppose, he doesn't give off the air that he's uh, upset over losing last year to Limerick, I can, I can assure you deep down that he definitely is. But having said that, that's 2013. You brush that under the carpet. 2014 is a brand new championship year. I think, as we spoke about last week, we started slow and Tip started slow in the league. But he's got the guys coming uh, when the time is right, which is, which is uh, come the weekend. Limerick we talked about when we were previewing the championship in general Morris but I suppose at least now the players can focus in on the game and nobody knows what impact the change of management or the loss of Donald Grady will have necessarily but at least now I guess this is what players want to do they're in championship week and they're yeah, about to play a game in like, a couple of I suppose look it all goes out the window now what happened with Donald O'Grady you know it's like a couple of days out from championship now nobody's really thinking about Donald O'Grady now they're focusing on their job you know um, all the preparations are essentially done now. It'll be one one slight training session to come, you know. So all the preparation is done. Um, players will be really looking forward to it, you know. Um, they'll be getting everything ready. Um, I suppose. Look, 
from a I suppose a Limerick point of view, they've been naming the team tonight. There's a couple of guys really, I suppose, there's a couple of changes said it may may happen, may not, you know, especially I suppose established guys in the back that may not be playing. So like there's that era of nerves coming into tonight as well, you know, from a Limerick point of view. So it's always a big thing waiting for the championship team to be named as does, well. Does either team have a, an Alan Cadigan or an Austin Gleason up their sleeve? Do we know? Is there anything about to explode on the championship? I think, you know, I think first thing to say is Cadigan and Austin Gleeson were superb at the weekend, you know, for two eighteen or nineteen year olds coming into an inter county senior team to, to play the way they have played last weekend is a super achievement. Um I remember I suppose Noel McGrath coming in back in 08 as a seventeen year old as well and they bring that freshness to the whole setup. They come in, you know, they just throw caution to the wind, they play with abandon, they have the fitness, they have the speed and, and especially the two guys of the weekend we've seen, they have the hurling as well, Cadigan getting four from play and Austin Gleeson getting one too. What happened to the idea of uh, the nerve-wracked 17-year-old who was afraid of this arena that he's going into? It seems like the young lads who come in <laughs> now are, are fairly uh, ready to go. Yeah, it doesn't happen and, and you see like any young fella coming into, I suppose, any setup, they just, they don't have the fear. It's like a young fella standing up on a, on a tee hitting a golf ball, they don't have a fear of uh, missing the ball or, or putting the ball wide. And I think we saw that at the weekend. Um, and you're seeing it every year on year, even football and hurling. Uh, we see, you know, Cormac Costello with the Dublin footballers this year, uh, Kieran Kilkenny when he came in at the start. Look at Tony Kelly, what he did last year, senior hurler of the year, young hurler of the year at 19 or 20 years of age. I mean, we saw the preview during the week at Under-21 Championship. He's under-21 again this year. I can't, you know, I can't I know, believe yeah. it. I think so everyone was kind of a bit freaked out by <laughs> that. Yeah. They're like, what the hell is he still doing? You know, the, the, what, yeah. the, what the young players can do at, at this level. Yeah, I mean, like, when you're... Say when Noel McGrath came in to tip that time, like, what were your expectations of him? Obviously, you know, he was being talked about in much the same way as, I suppose, Joe Canning would have been in Galway. Like, it's a huge, huge expectation around him. But, I mean, what were your expectations of him? Is it a case of, you know let's give him two or three years to settle into this or are you expecting him to deliver straight away despite the fact regardless of his age yeah and you see the, yeah and you know you see Noel coming into the dressing room that year and you you expect him he sits in the corner nice and quietly and you expect maybe we'll see this letter really explode in two years time but that very first training session when you see him in action you say no actually this guy is ready you know he's he's getting around the pitch he's he's hooking he's blocking he's scoring points and straight away, you know, you think this guy is actually ready. And I think we saw that at the weekend with, with the two guys in question as well, where, you know, if if they're good enough, you're ready, regardless of what age you are. Yeah, the thing about Gleeson as well was that he looked like a leader as well, not just a, a guy who was willing to chip in with his mind his own corner, effectively. But, I mean, he was centre-back on a, the minor, the the captain and centre-back on the, the minor All-Ireland winning team last year. He looks he looks ready to go already and and be a leader straight away. Yeah, I suppose when you I suppose when you join the panel in like that, you know, you've already been a leader like all the way up through your underage, like you're seen as the key man, so you're used to that leadership role like so like you join a senior panel, I suppose you don't have any hang-ups or anything like you go in straight away, play your normal game like, you know, so I think it's where it maybe there is an issue if a guy joins a senior panel and he's probably hanging around the panel for 2 or 3 years then the nerve factor can kind of set in, you know, where he's like, he's maybe questioning himself a little bit, then he's unsure, his confidence maybe take a drop or two, he's not getting on the team, you know, where if a guy comes straight in, has the talent to go straight into the starting 15, I think that's where they take over leadership straight away, like, you know, I suppose they're coming in, like, remember Danny Sutcliffe arriving to Dublin training, everybody kind of knew he was coming, but straight away, like, he kind of, he was the template straight away, he upped training, like, he upped everything, the physical stakes and training, everything that went, like, Preparation-wise, he kind of upped everything a notch as soon as he arrived, like which is unbelievable to see from a young guy, you know. Um, 
or garden young lads coming through maybe in the Limerick tip side um, I don't know is there any like real young lad joining the Limerick panel this year are going to come through you know there's probably two or three at the minor stage this year um, that'll be breaking through next year because so it looks sure. as though you, it's something maybe you, you almost need now at this yeah. stage we saw Claire and Claire the number of players who weren't massively familiar to all of us and, and they came through together last definitely year. like you know you saw like, like last year I suppose Benny touched on it there the Tony Kelly young hurler of the year he says you had Podge Collins as well the two of them were nominated for hurler of the year and young hurler of the year I don't know has that ever happened before you know like a sensation like go back, go back to probably Brian Corcoran before you saw a player of that age mm-hmm. getting hurler of the year you know so like it's 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 rare I suppose you know in a sense like well Limerick have three of them coming but it'll be next year the three minors the three are doing their leaving cert and um, if the two Lynches you know um, mm-hmm. sensational players coming through so it'll be next year before they'll be probably hitting the fray. Were you surprised how go- good Waterford were? Um, I was to be honest with you I fancied Cork out of the way last weekend but then I suppose Cork hadn't showed us Anton in the last National League to really to back up that point but having said that Waterford were missing you know Malumphy and a few more they had two or three guys just out of minors on their starting team um, but then I mean the ball was thrown in it was a totally different game they went into a five or six point lead Dan Shanahan was on the line he was hurling every ball himself and that was brilliant to see uh, you know Derek McGrath brings a you know, an air professionalism to it as well. I know William Maher is a selector with Waterford as well. Uh, you know, managed tip to an All-Ireland minor in the last couple of years. Like so, I suppose, while a few of us wrote off Waterford, that was really, wasn't warranted, I suppose. And I think Waterford showed us at the weekend how good they can be. And, and I think they're ready to just to kick on their year again on, on Sunday week. Just back to some of the other games this weekend. In the Lancer Championship, Galway Leash, Antrim, Wexford. Uh, I had to be reminded by Kieran this morning that Wexford took Clare to uh, extra time last year, which is incredible when you look back at it. Is that their level, or is their level maybe what we've seen in in other games? Well, I think if you look at last year, like they took, I suppose they got knocked out of the Leinster Championship after a replay against Dublin. They got knocked out of the All Ireland series after a re- or after extra time against Clare. So look, what's what's their level like? They, that's the only reason they got knocked out. But what we conceive now is two of the top teams. Like so, their level is pretty high, you know. I think the the problem with Wexford though is, and they might admit this themselves, is that it it they don't have an issue putting it up to Clare and putting it up to Dublin. It's the but they do seem to have a mental block with with other teams. Yeah, and we're probably talking about Kilkenny in particular, but also you know probably Cork and Tipperary as well. What what is that? You know, in the yeah, it's a good point. You know, I suppose it's something probably maybe in the in the Wexford psyche, like that they they see themselves as good as Clares and Dublins and Limericks of this world, but they're probably probably inferior complex there coming against probably the traditional tree, you know, and and that's probably hurt them over the years. Um, like facing in like uh, this weekend, I I think they'll like. I don't see them having any issue getting over Antrim with all due respect to Antrim. Like, but it'll be a major shock if they do, um, get knocked out against Antrim. So look, I I think look they're facing in then to to Dublin and fancy themselves again. So I think they might have a good year. Benny, yeah, I think to be honest with you, I think looking at Antrim over the last couple of weeks, they've they've two or three wins under their belt, guys in in succession. Um, there's a friend of mine from Clare, he's actually a selector with Antrim, and I've been keeping a close eye on him during the year, and they're proven to be a tough team to beat. I think they'll actually fancy coming down to, to Wexford Park and taking on Wexford, especially after the under-21 uh, semi-final last year. Like, they beat Leash last weekend uh, by two points. And, like, I mean, that's that's a good kick on to, to try... Uh, Do you fancy them enough to tip them up? I think I think they'd be within three or four points, to be honest with you. I think the bookies are obviously fancy Wexford out of the way, but I, I think that'll be a tough assignment for Wexford. They may just get over the line with it, but um, I think Antrim will give them a good run for their money. All right, I'm going to assume that we all think, oh, we're going to beat Leash, unless you want to shut me up right now. And <laughs> just to get back to Tip Limerick, to wrap things up, who's going to win it, Morris? Um, I'm expecting a big performance from Limerick. Um, how big... 
I suppose you will have to wait and see. Um, I think it'll have to be a massive performance to win it. I um, I think you still have to fancy Tip by a couple of points. Okay. Yeah, Aye. Tip with home advantage after losing last weekend or last year, it would be pretty sore over that. And coming into good form after a decent uh, end to the league and... Uh, you know, I fancy tip by three or four points. To get the revenge. All right, Benny Dunn, Morris O'Brien, brilliant. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Andrew, that's the question. That's going to be answered tonight. Tonight. So now, come here tonight. Tonight. Into Wexford Park, and they just must produce the goods tonight. Tonight. Their team is better set up tonight. Tonight. But they just, the bottom line is, Michael, they have to do I it tonight. i got to say, I tonight. just saw the look of sheer joy in Kennedy's eyes when the name... Dan Shanahan came up there, Murphy. Mm. Hadn't heard him for a while. Ken was thinking, oh, I haven't even interviewed... We interviewed this guy when his book came out, sure, but he's retired at that stage. Favourite ever herder. Ken probably thinks it's fair to say Dan Shanahan's your favourite herder. You were obsessed with him that one particular summer when he really lit the championship up. 2007, was it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, shouldn't, I suppose I shouldn't be that surprised, but that yes, 2007, Ken, you're absolutely right. Yeah, it was amazing. Uh, he did uh, the Jarzinho of the uh, All Ireland hurling championship. He literally couldn't stop scoring goals. It was like a disease. Yeah. You know, he he just couldn't help himself. But as well, I like the kind of goals that he scored, which were just clobbered in and um, from ridiculous distances. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was, he didn't place too many of them. Yeah. I mean, he he would just catch the ball. Uh, he most of the time he was running as he caught the ball. So the 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 catching of the ball was all part of a momentum careering himself towards the goal uh, and once he got within 25 yards he would just leather the crap out of it into the top corner I like the style and he's carried that style into his uh, all action own. he's now an all action selector mm. he's kind of a bit like Davy Fitz but way bigger yeah. on the side and that seems to be his presence it's quite scary to see it in action <laughs> he really is he would intimidate me if I was an opponent mm. not trying to say he's deliberately intimidating people Murph just his sheer presence alone though would Put and the frighteners on a few. Big Dan Shan, the man who can. I mean, the, the nickname resonates through history. Coming up in second half of football at the Irish Times. That's. Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you doing down here, you show me, man? <laughs> well, and we're going to talk about um, what we're up starting in two weeks today. Two weeks today, Ken. Two weeks today. It's actually two weeks today, isn't it? Wow. It's pretty close. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the House Nation resume. Uh, with uh, Fernando Duarte, who I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be familiar with. He has written a new book which is um, focusing on six of the most uh, catastrophic defeats in the history of the Brazilian national team, attempting to tell the story of the Brazilian national team through their worst moments. Yeah, that's an interesting way of doing it because you would assume most books written about Brazilian football concentrate on the glory of their many victories. So I like mm. this idea of actually taking their low moments. They've lost a few matches as well, though. They've only won the uh, they've only won the five World Cups, which means that they've lost a lot more World Cups than they've won. Mm. Their conversion rate is pretty shocking, really, all told. I mean, they've qualified for every one of them. Yeah. So what what have they been doing most of the time? Yeah, well, most most of the time they've they've, uh, they've made the a right out. mess of it. <laughs> and uh, did they travel over in thirty four and thirty eight? Oh, they did. Yeah, they did. Did they? They did. They, did. they yeah, were the they, one team that, that to, did keep coming over. To Italy yeah. and France. And they, uh, yeah, they got stuffed in, in both of those. But yeah, uh, we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk a little bit about, uh, given that Ireland are playing Italy on, 
on uh, Saturday. It seems like an appropriate occasion to talk about how their World Cup preparations are going and what kind of an Italian team we can expect, both at Craven Cottage and in the World Cup. Okay, time now for US Murph. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game. No matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World Series in Detroit. He's out on his feet. Frank Cappuccino's going to let him keep going. Got it! Got it. Touchdown! Touchdown, 40! Oh, 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 I am hanging in, Owen. We got, uh, you know, beautiful weather here in California. The June dawning, summer around the corner, so all is well. Now, if, if you remember the conversation we had a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago at this stage, our first chat about Donald Sterling, and we were trying to place that story within the great American loosely sports-related controversies. We had Tiger Woods, we had O.J. Simpson, which was very controversial, it's probably fair to say. Can we add Landon Donovan to this list? <laughs> Well, good try. I, I admire your effort there as uh, trying to bring soccer to the mainstream of the U.S., or football, as others would call it. Uh, I will say with all due respect to Landon Donovan, no, he is not on an O.J. level. No, he is not on a Donald Sterling level. No, not on a Tiger Woods or Lance Armstrong level. But he certainly had his own little, his own little mini, mini place uh, in the American sports world last week. As much as this country can get worked up about soccer, Actually, I don't know if Jurgen Klinsmann, the uh, U.S. coach, was trying to cr- just to create interest, but it's probably the, the most newsworthy thing he could do in naming the 23-man U.S. squad. And I'm sure most of your Irish listeners know by now, but if they don't, Landon Donovan, easily our most famous player and the one who's played in more World Cup matches than any American player ever, was left off the squad. And, uh, you know, let the controversy begin, because really most American Sports fans who barely know soccer and barely pay attention to the World Cup, if they were forced to name one player, they would name Landon Donovan. If they were forced to name two players, they'd say Landon Donovan uh, and somebody else. They wouldn't be able to. So he's easily our most famous player, easily our most decorated player. And to leave him off generated the most news possible. If he had included Landon uh, Donovan on the team, Maybe we would have just kind of ho-hummed our way down to Brazil, but now at least there was a storm around the team. So maybe that was Klinsman's intent all along to create a little buzz. But in reality, it had been if you had been following this closely, the soccer heads who followed this closely saw this coming. Uh, there was a Klinsman and Donovan were not on the same page for much of the year coming in. Uh, Klinsman had asked Donovan to do some training with the team uh, about six, eight months ago, and Donovan had declined. Uh, he was nursing an injury, I guess, and... Klinsman apparently then sort of started to fall out of favor with him. And then, you know, Donovan's getting on, too. Now he's 32 years old, and uh, he's not the player he was four years ago when he heroically scored a goal against Algeria to propel us into the round of 16. Uh, but, yeah, he, uh, Klinsman kind of made good on his – I don't want to say his promise. He made good on the feeling that he and Donovan were not on the same page. Now, Klinsman said all along, oh, this is purely a soccer decision, and, and uh, you know, I'm just taking the 23 best I can take. Whereas Donovan said quite clearly, that's ridiculous, uh, I'm absolutely one of the 23 best soccer players in America. And a couple of his teammates who've been around, including the goalkeeper Tim Howard, who plays over there in the U.K., had said if, uh, you know, he said basically he's, he's the only player we have that puts fear into other teams. 
So uh, we better have a pretty good 23 that are going. So, yeah, we got ourselves a nice little a nice little mini storm heading down to Brazil. Yeah, and I guess the way you phrase it there is interesting that this is the most newsworthy thing that Klinsman could have done at this point. If, if you're ever going to get people talking about a sport, there's no harm dropping the star player. That will certainly do the job. But the problem then, I guess, is when it comes to the World Cup itself, is the US at a point now where there's enough of a groundswell of support for the sport that actually... It, it's okay, it'll be okay come game time that the idea of people watching the game will actually, people will still watch it. It's not just contingent on Landon Donovan, the star player, being there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I want to make that clear, that Donovan, Donovan's curating was not such that people will click off the remote control because of him. You know, that's Tiger Woods territory where we're seeing U.S. golf TV ratings plummet without Tiger Woods on the scene. No, no, no. Landon Donovan does not have that kind of effect on people. Uh, he, you know, had he gone, it would be nice. We know him. We recognize him. He's a nice guy. He's a classy kid. But uh, I think the, the interest in the team will still be what it was, whether he's on the team or not. And the interest in the team is growing. You know, you and I, we've been doing this long enough to know that, you know, it's a slow process for U.S. soccer, and it's going to take success to get it going. And four years ago, when we got to the round of 16 in very dramatic fashion with Donovan scoring that goal to beat Algeria to get us in, uh, it was, you know, there were those stirring YouTube video compilations that really burned up American viral videos where they strung together the music from uh, Miracle, the Kurt Russell uh, 1980 hockey movie, and uh, strung together all those different reactions from around the country, whether they were at sports bars or people watching at home. and. Everybody got all excited for a couple of weeks there, and then, of course, you know, we got drubbed by Ghana, and that was it. So long, Chief. Uh, we weren't around anymore. So I would ex- anticipate the same thing, a tick higher. The only problem is, oh, and I don't know, I know you're, you guys probably haven't spent too much time studying the U.S.'s draw, but it was uh, deemed by many experts to be quite unfavorable. Yeah, well, if Germany, <laughs> Ghana again, and Portugal, so there's yeah, a chance right. I mean, you, could, you could come out of there with zero points. Yeah, there are some people, we had a guy at our radio station just saying, he said, let's be honest, he said, we're going to get crushed. We're going to get absolutely crushed. I said, I don't know. You know, I give U.S. soccer probably a little more credit than other people do. Seems like we have a bit of tenacity to us. Seems like we never get really blown off the pitch. I mean, there was the awful World Cup, I think, 06. Was it in France in 06? Uh, We were just terrible and lost to Iran and and was just a, a, a terrible showing. But other than that, we've been okay. We got to the quarterfinals in 94, round of 16, in 2010 and you know there's some talent out there's some young guys coming up the only problem is is you know like we said germany is germany speaks for itself portugal is portugal speaks for itself and we have a bad history with Ghana already we've lost to them a couple of times so yeah on paper this looks quite poor going in and maybe for landon donovan it's the ultimate excuse he can just sit back on his couch and accept all the positive publicity that if indeed form holds and we go winless He'll say, hey, guess what, guys? You should have brought me. Part I'm the guy. Of, yeah. So it'll help, it'll help his stock, maybe. But who knows? Oh, I'm sure, Landon Donovan, I'm sure Landon Donovan will be at home in the Stars and Stripes cheering his boys on. You couldn't uh, possibly suggest otherwise. Yeah. That's what he told us, Owen. He said, I'll be cheering my teammates on. Cough, cough, <laughs> cough. <laughs> Jurgen Klinsmann himself is certainly was quite a free-spirited player and it's interesting, he was always seen as somebody who thought a bit outside the box and wasn't your stereotypical footballer. So it's Kind of interesting that he's dealing with Landon Donovan rather harshly for possibly exhibiting some of the same traits. But I guess this is universal to all sports. Just because somebody acts a certain way as a player, when they become a coach or a manager, <laughs> they maybe just they, they, it's, it's more do as I do as I say rather than do as I do. 
Yeah, exactly. That's a, you know he's kind of turned into now the taskmaster. And to be quite honest, I was unfamiliar with his style of play. I remember him on Germany's World Cup championship team, but I didn't know he actually. You, you're educating me there on a little bit that he was a bit of a was he a bit of a wild? Uh, no, he wasn't. He was a wild spirit. He wasn't w- wild. I wouldn't say. But uh, the big thing was that he he arrived. Well, there were a couple of things when he first arrived in English football. One was that. He had, was accused of diving in one of his first games. In fact, he came with a reputation as a diver, and he promised that if he dived at all in English football, he'd buy everybody in the stadium a drink and all this, this kind of stuff. But anyway, then he was accused of diving in his first game, so in his second game, he scores a goal, and he celebrates by doing a completely elaborate dive uh, over towards the touchline. He arrived in a, was it a Volkswagen Beetle or something, uh, rather than the usual flash car you might expect from, uh, not, no, no offence, any Beetle drivers out there, but that you would expect from... Uh, top level of footballer so there were a few of these he was known as quite an urbane quite a, a intelligent kind of a guy as well yeah well he comes with i mean his our reputation our, our impression of him here in the states was that he came with just you know pretty much unbeatable street cred i mean that the guy you know has not only won a world cup but then coached germany right to the uh what he coached him to the he Sem- didn't win the cup with germany no, right semi-finals uh, they were knocked out in the yeah. semi-finals and so, i mean six. here this is this is the kind of stuff american soccer this is like <sighs> beyond royalty for us that to be touched by jürgen klinsmann but he's so so all trust to him you know and they've improved in the two and a half years he's had them and he's made sure to point that out too he's made sure to point out you know go look at our record guys we're better than i am now than i am there's even a theory actually that he his contract runs through the 2018 world cup there's a theory, and I don't know how true it is, that he kind of cut Donovan and kept these real young strikers, although the one he did keep from the Bay Area here, our very young Chris Wondolowski, is about the same age as Donovan, so that one doesn't really make sense. But he kept some other younger players, and there's a theory that he's actually building towards 2018, that he almost understands that 2014 is a, looks like a, a wash. It would take a miracle for them to advance and that he feels like, hey, I might have a nucleus here that could get better in 2018. Now, he denies it. No, 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 I'm taking my 23 best to Brazil. But just kind of going back to what you're talking about with Klinsman maybe doing things a little unorthodox or Klinsman, sort of the point I was trying to make about Klinsman's, Klinsman's soccer know-how being far superior than anything it, uh, Americans have seen, maybe he is building towards 2018. Maybe he believes that this young team he takes down there will take a beating and get better and better. So, you know, he says, I'm taking the 23 best. Donovan says, uh, I should have been on the team. Some of his teammates say he should have been on the team. Bruce Arenas, a, co- a coach here in the MLS, said, if we have 23 players better than Landon Donovan, then we have a good chance at winning the World Cup. So that was his way of zinging Klinsman on that one. So, well, he's in the spotlight now, so spotlight squarely on Klinsman, but he has that contract security. You know, it's going to go through 2018. It's not like he could lose his job after uh, with a flop in Brazil, although you know you never know things could go so awry he might resign or something like that. That seems to happen quite dramatically. But yeah, all eyes on Klinsman now, and who knows? Maybe some of these young U.S. stars will perform. All right, Brian Murphy, we leave it there. Thank you. All right, all the best. Brilliant stuff from Brian. I just want to go back to a statistic on Landonovan's career. It's not that obscure a statistic either, Ken. He scored 57 goals for the US. Mm. 57 goals is very good. It's not bad. It's, it, I mean, I can not think of a couple as, of players who I can, have I scored think, even more. I than can that. think of one of his teammates, one of his LA Galaxy teammates, mm. who would laugh at 57 international goals. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome well, to 2013, Landon. Five <laughs> World Cup goals, though, which is... That uh, is very good. Which is well, fun. goals are goals. This unnamed teammate has got three World Cup goals, all mm, in the one World five, Cup. Five, three. Yeah. Well, still a better goals per game. Uh, average in the World Cup, and where Landon so. Donovan has the edge. So. Yeah, I wonder have they had this discussion <laughs> oh, with exactly that tone of voice. <laughs> well, the where Landon Donovan has the edge on unidentified fan, 
is in the assists bracket. I'm not sure how many assists. <laughs> I think it was one assist in the Trapattoni era. Really? For all, for all uh, Robbie? Robbie Kane. And it was, it was for John Walters against Estonia in the playoff. Remember, he kind of crossed, hit a looping cross for John Walters, who headed one in the back stick. Mm-hmm. That was Robbie Kane's one assist <laughs> in that old. And was time he really? Was it maybe a shot? Was he trying to curl into the top no, corner? It was, it was I was a, behind the goal that day. It was a cross. Uh, Murph. If I was to ask you how many assists internationally Landon Donovan has, now if you actually know the answer, we've already had this conversation mm. off air, I can't remember. Just pretend that we haven't and go for a particularly low number so you can then seem shocked when I tell you how high it is. Couldn't be any more than, and we've had this conversation already, couldn't be any more than 15, Owen. That's, that's where you're wrong, bro. 58 international assists. <laughs> that is 58 assists. That is pretty impressive. Goals. That's a totally different kind of player straight away from Robbie Keane. There. Mm, which is 62 goals. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess that it's more than one assist. That was just Trapattoni here. Mm. Yeah, but but, probably that's, that's, but that is amazing. That, that's called an all-round attacking player, a guy who can score almost 60 goals and create almost 60 goals. That's 115. An yeah, that's 115 goals where he's had a direct influence. I was in. listening to the right. Hang Up and Listen podcast, Slate's Hang Up and Listen podcast, and they were speaking to Jonathan Hawk. I don't even know the filmmaker in the US. He is in the process of, what well, he has filmed uh, a Fly in the Wall documentary series. I think, I don't know if it's following them right the way to the World Cup, the US, maybe not. Maybe it, it ended before, um, before they set off. But he had filmed Klinsman saying uh, that, and this was a quote that was distributed quite widely after the event, but this... Uh, episode had been out before the squad was announced saying oh yeah the American media like to think Lanz is untouchable but he's not it doesn't matter what he's done in the past and you're thinking how did what surely this is the least shocking thing ever if the coaches just essentially laid the ground Uh, they all thought that was just a bit of you know just keeping Landon Donovan under flashing in the pots or whatever just to get Landon imagine you know just just to just to shake Landon out of his slumber or whatever. Yeah. And uh, His then, mind was still in Cambodia. Isn't that where he went? He went somewhere first. Yeah, I think he, he did go to Cambodia. I think he went on a bit of a, you know, generally went around to find himself. I mean, I do have to, you know, my opinion on it would largely be, do you really have to do this during the few precious years remaining while you're still young enough to play football? Mm-hmm. Maybe you could dedicate your life. You know, you got to be, become a monk after you finished your yeah. career. But instead, you know, of, you know, instead of trying to find yourself... You just end up finding the entire Leaving Cert class of two, 2012. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, I don't know. Hopefully it was worthwhile mm. because, uh, I mean, hopefully it's given him the, the perspective that he's going to need as he sits watching the US MNT. Well, he has his revenge already, Ken. He's scored his couple of goals to break the MLS mm. record there. Have a listen. We're going to finish up things or finish things up to be more grammatically correct about it. But do have a listen to some of the other shows on the irishtimes.com forward slash podcast. Loads of great stuff there to listen to. You can hear us as always on irishtimes.com forward slash second captains iTunes, SoundCloud. If you have friends who have an app and are, uh, or have a, an Android and you know you might be an Android user yourself, just tell them, if they're not listening already, get on Podcast Republic. That's the app there. If they download the Podcast Republic app, it's a good way of listening on uh, Android. We're looking forward to Second Captain's Football a little bit later on. In the meantime, thanks, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Thanks, thanks Kieran. Thanks, Owen. And thanks so much for listening. Take care. boys. 
mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.